this time next week, another woman will occupy the desk in the U.S. Senate where Barbara Boxer sat for more than 20 years. It's the same seat once occupied by liberal lions Eugene McCarthy and George McGovern. But it was marching, not sitting, that created Boxer's big national moment. In 1991, she and several other congresswomen walked from the House over to the Senate to demand that senators seriously consider Anita Hill's sexual harassment charges against Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas. Boxer arrived on Capitol Hill during Ronald Reagan's first term and leaves it as Donald Trump is about to be sworn in as president, an exit that wasn't quite what she expected. Make God the gold refined Till success How did your plans for your post-Senate life change on about midnight on November 8th? I was scheduled to go on the Chelsea Handler show the morning after the election, and it was supposed to be a celebratory moment. What did it mean for women? What did it mean for girls? What did it mean for boys? What did it mean for our nation, for the world, to have Hillary Clinton as president? And instead, I found myself thinking, can I really get myself up and to that show? And I decided I couldn't let her down. It was a transformational moment because she looked at me basically in tears and said, you know, how do you get through these political losses? And I found a voice inside that came from all those years of, you know, experience and heartbreak and myself. And I think that has sent a signal to me that, you know, now in these next several years, that I can be a motivational voice to those who feel so discouraged and so disappointed and so um, powerless, which they are not. People voted for Donald Trump, and he has won the Electoral College. What did they want that they saw in him? Well, people voted for Donald Trump, but many more, millions more, voted for Hillary Clinton. And he wound up with well, well, well under 50%. So... But if you're asking me, why did people vote for Donald Trump, it's better asked to them. But I, you know, my observation is they just want to change. A lot of people felt empowered by some of his supporters who were on the very far right, nationalist, white supremacist type people, um, which is a very sad part of his coalition. And a lot of them felt empowered because of his talk against women. So it's, it's a potpourri of, of reasons. And one of the arguments among Democrats right now is whether to resist across the board with Trump or to cooperate for damage control on things like confirmation hearings. My own view is that you pick your battles very clearly, and if you can achieve something for the people, achieve it. There'll be enough... Um, to plant the flag on, believe me, on immigration, on tax cuts for the wealthy, on, you know, cuts to the things people hold dear, uh, Medicare, Social Security, health care. You know, you can't do every single thing. And in terms of confirmation, there is no filibuster of confirmation except Supreme Court justice. So I think the thing to do is to, is to point out through hearings the person's qualities pro and con 
uh, and let the American people see that. And the Republicans have done it, and we've done it in the past. So everything's on the table when you want to be in a cabinet, and it's got to be discussed. You introduced, after the election, legislation to abolish the Electoral College. Amending the Constitution on something like that has tremendous hurdles. Was this made to make a point, or do you think it could seriously happen? We need to have the winner of the popular vote be the president of the United States, and there are various ways to accomplish it. The reason that I introduced the legislation was to make that point that it needs to be in many ways, gone or changed so that the winner of the popular vote wins. But the real movement on this is occurring in the states where there are state compacts, where states come together and say, we pledge to throw our electoral votes to the winner of the popular vote. And if you get states to agree to do that, that have 270 electoral votes, that's done. Your own position as a United States senator was, for much of the country's history, a position that was filled by state legislatures until there was a constitutional amendment that said senators are chosen by popular vote. Yes, it was into the 1900s before we were able to finally elect senators. So, you know, we try to become more and more democratic. We keep making the country more democratic, uh, but... There are moves to take us backwards, like blocking the vote uh, in minority communities. So it's constant vigilance to expand the franchise. Why do you think that the two occasions in this century it's happened, that the Democrat has won the popular vote but lost the Electoral College, that it has been Democrats? Well, because the system is set up in that way that the, uh, that the smaller states uh, have a bigger voice. And, and it turns out in our a country, the smaller states are more the red states. And, you know, the other time the founders uh, leaned against the big states was giving two senators from each state, regardless of population. And, you know, I, I represent a state with 40 million people. Uh, we have two senators, and tiny states with less than a million people have two senators. It's not, it's not really fair, to be honest, but that's built into the Constitution. Now, you have been quite active in your entire congressional career in environmental issues. And we just saw a decision about the Dakota um, Access Pipeline uh, addressing some of the concerns by the people who were protesting at Standing Rock. Well, first of all, what the Army Corps said is that they are not ready to grant a permit in the current configuration, that they are opening up the environmental impact statement, which will include alternative routes. This is an enormous victory for the Indian nation and, and for everybody who believes that drinking water has to be protected. You know, I don't think there's any doubt that the Army Corps that is working for Donald Trump will try to reverse it, but it's going to be very hard because now the legal situation is moving forward with a new EIS. Mm -hmm. We can't say it's a permanent victory, but we can say it is a major victory. As you look at the environmental work you have done, what are your concerns about how different the literal landscape could look? Right. What's fascinating to me is that, um, that a lot of the landmark laws were, were signed into law by Republicans, uh, including Richard Nixon, who signed, among other things, the Endangered Species Act. And there are moves to overturn that law going on right now at the end of this uh, Senate congressional term. I am very concerned that our landmark laws will be gutted. 
You know, what I've learned over the years is something I didn't realize when I was younger. I always thought, you win, you win, you, that's it, you know. Oh, you have the Clean Air Act, you won, you know. We'll always have clean air. <laughs> well, it doesn't work that way. Uh, there's, a, there's a song, and the words go like this, freedom, freedom is a hard one thing. You have to work for it, fight for it, day and night for it, and every generation's got to do it again. Freedom, freedom is a hard one thing. You've got to work for it, fight for it, day and night for it. And every generation got to win it again. Pass it on. I don't know whether you've ever met Donald Trump, but if you were in a group of senators Trump asked to meet with, what would you tell him, given all these concerns you've expressed? You can't say all this in a tweet or in a quick conversation. You really, I would need to sit down and say, you know, look at America before you were born. Look at foreign policy that has happened before you paid attention. Because he seems to be someone who's of the moment and who thinks that everything's happening now and there's no history. When you pick up the phone and call Taiwan, it may sound easy to you, but... We don't have enough time to go into why it's very problematic. You know, when you call people who are abusing human rights of the people, these have ramifications. But you can't just tell someone that. You have to write it and deeply explain it. And that's what I would do. You're one of the the uh, the seniors, the elders, I suppose, of the Democratic Party. As it tries to rebuild, are you going to take part in any meetings or consultations about that? Here's what I think. I think the Democratic Party has a winning combination right under its nose. If you marry the Bernie people with the Hillary people, you've got it. That's not a shotgun wedding? It's a wonderful wedding because there's no disagreements. It's just a matter of who stressed what. Bernie stressed the populist economic issues. Hillary stressed the importance of diversity and standing together. I think you merge those two, you have a winner. And that's the type of coalition I think we need to build. You and Dianne Feinstein broke the mold. California was the first state to send two women to the United States Senate at the same time. What difference does it really make having more women in the House, having more women in the Senate? It's very important in a democracy that people with power reflect the constituency. It's very important because, again, you can't represent people if you only see the country through your particular lens. And, you know, the lens of a woman raising a family, the lens of a woman having a hard time getting equal pay for equal work, the the lens of a single mom um, has to be married up with all the issues that the men bring, which are fair and enough on their own right. So now there's 21 women, so we've made progress. On a policy level? Oh, absolutely. The violence against women passed, sexual harassment laws, Um, We've changed pension laws, social security laws, oh, without a doubt. Freedom doesn't come like a bird on the wing. Senator Barbara Boxer, thank you again. Of course. Freedom, freedom is a hard one thing you've got. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Todd G. Levin. That's Judy Collins performing in 1963 at Miles College in Birmingham, Alabama, the song is Pass It On by Millard Lampell and George Kleinsinger. Ray Charles gives us America the Beautiful, 
on the ABC label. I am Pat Morrison. Pass it on to your children. Pat.